our name, Jesus. Amen. If you would please stand for the reading of Scripture. Turn to Romans chapter 1. We'll be reading verses 16 and 17. It'll also be up on the screen behind me. It reads, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as is it as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's read the word. You may be seated. Such a small statement that that's there, but this is a statement that that rock, rocked the world because it rocked Martin Luther's life. I I told you last week, kind of jokingly, that Martin Luther was known as the monkiest monk of all monks. You know, he he did not do anything half-heartedly. He went all the way with everything, and so he's reading this scripture, and he's one that. He grew up in the Catholic Church. That was the only game in time. There wasn't a you know Baptist and a Methodist and Presbyterian and Lutheran and Universalist and and all the other various religions that that are out there. There was there was only the Catholic Church, and so he was raised up and taught that yeah, every time you sinned, you had to go and repent, or that you st- you would you stand judged and condemned. He he viewed God as very wrathful and angry. And that if, if he didn't continually hate himself and hate the desires that his body had for everything in life, that God hated him. He did not see God as loving. He saw God as vengeful and wrathful. I want you to think about what your view of God is. How do you view God? Because as, as Luther became a monk and he got to study the scriptures and he got a hold of, of the Greek text of the New Testament, the actual uh, scriptures instead of seeing a translation that was convoluted and had so much distorted theology from the previous interpreters, but actually got God's word in his hands and he read it and he came across these words for the first time where it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God into salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For it is by the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as is written. The righteous shall live by faith. And so what this meant for Luther, it hit him at his core and he said, I do not have to go and worry about all these good things and and how many times I say the rosary and how many times I pray. If I have faith in Christ, then I am saved. I am redeemed. I've been made new. I've been born again. He no longer had to go and, and worry about, you know, is God being judging of me right in this moment? Did I not say my prayers right? Did I not eat the food the right way? Did, did, did I not pray and worship the right way? Did I, I not scrub the floors in just the right way with all my heart? That, that is why he did the things the way he did, because he was so afraid that even the smallest detail that if he would miss meant eternal damnation. And so in this moment, he is freed. And I want you to be free today. I want you to understand that coming to church is a great thing. But um, coming to church, many of us have kids that have grown up in this church, or um, my my daughter's growing up in this church, the the Zimmerly kids and the Bakers and others that are part of this church. It is great to grow up in church. But if your child does not grow up in Christ, if they do not have faith in Christ, it, it means nothing. You could come here every Sunday, or you could come one Sunday a year. Ultimately, it's going to be, is your faith in Christ? I encourage you to come to church every time we're open. Why? 
Not because we're legalistic and say you have to be at church to be saved, but because this is where we grow together. This is where we worship together. We fellowship together. These are all good things that, that we read about that, that God has instructed us to do for the edification of the body, the building up, so that we could train up pastors and preachers and missionaries and send them out, so that we could preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. These are why we gather together. These are good and great things, but these are not the things of salvation. You know, it, over and over again, Scripture is clear. It is by faith alone. Faith in Jesus Christ. So often, we'll, uh, my, myself included, we, we do altar calls at the end of service, and there's many different styles of preachers. I'm not the, your typical hellfire brimstone Southern Baptist preacher. But there's a lot of those, in, and they'll focus on, on hell. And I want to tell you, I want you to come down to this altar, and I want you to give your life to Christ. I want you to place your faith in Him. But I don't want you to do it because you're afraid of going to hell. I want you to do it because you love Jesus. Because He is your everything. Faith makes this all possible. I want you to try to wrap your mind around that, that we can approach a holy and a righteous God because we have placed faith in Him. That there's not, there's not a checklist of good deeds you have to do. You know, we'll, we'll talk about why we do good things, why we do these things that we call works. But I don't want anyone to get it mixed up. It's not works that save you. If you go home and, and sin this afternoon after confessing uh, your faith in Christ, and it's a genuine repentance, if, if you sin and then die in a car accident, you're not going to hell. That faith is not so easily erased. The works of Christ on the cross is not so easily wiped out. I want you to think of it like this, this, this faith that we speak of. Think of Noah in the flood. Noah was considered a righteous man, and therefore God allowed him the privilege to know what the judgment that was coming. And he instructed him to build an ark and warn people of what the judgment was to come. And so we know the story for 120 years as, as Noah is, is building the ark, and preaching the gospel, telling people to repent and get in the boat with him because the flood is coming, they mock him, as we know. And how many converts does he have after 120 years? Zero. We'd probably fire him a lot sooner than that, <laughs> if we were honest with ourselves. The reality is he had zero converts. But there's seven others that get on that boat, isn't there? His wife, of course. His three sons and their wives. Was his wife and, their th and his three sons and their wives righteous? No, they weren't righteous. In all reality, they didn't deserve to be on that boat. In all reality, we don't deserve to get to go to heaven. But it's because we have placed our faith in the righteousness of Christ that we are guaranteed that hope. We have been given full assurance. When we have that, that sign out front that says, New Hope Baptist Church, that is the hope that we are speaking of. The hope in Jesus Christ. His family placed their hope that, that God saw Noah as righteous. God sees His Son as righteous. So when He looks at you after you have placed your faith in Him, who does He see? Does He see Dylan the sinner? No, He sees His Son, Jesus Christ. Just as Noah and his family were lifted up out of the judgment, you will be lifted away from the judgment as well. And a day will come where, where the, the judgment waters subside and you get to walk out of that boat. You get to be in all eternity with your loved ones. Because of the righteousness of Christ for all those who have placed their faith in Him. I, I really want to drive home the point of, this is not just in this one verse, because a lot of times people will try to say they believe this or that, and they'll take one verse and show you one, 
one half a sentence out of context and, and base their whole life belief system off that one thing. So I'm going to go through a few verses and read them to you. And I, I hope it hammers the, whole, the point home that it is by faith and faith alone. Genesis 15. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. John 3. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Matthew 7. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have we cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And when he saw their faith, he said unto them, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. Luke 18. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I am not like these other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Then Luke 23. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sins, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. John 3:16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then at 3:18 Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. In John 6 Then they said unto him what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them This is the work of God that you believe on him who he hath sent. John chapter 5, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth him that sent me has everlasting life. John 6, and this I will on him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. I will raise him up on the last day. Acts 10, of him all the prophets bear witness. Through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Acts 16, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. John 14, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Acts 26, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Romans 3, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Romans 4, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justify the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Ephesians 1, In him you also trusted, after you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of your inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. I literally could go on reading until the night service. Scripture is clear. You are saved by faith alone. The fact that the Holy Spirit dwells in you is, is a guarantee. It is the God saying, This is my down payment of what is to come. Think about this. The down payment of, of all the glorious things that God has in store for you is the Holy Spirit. That is a pretty good down payment. If that was 20%, could you only imagine what lies ahead? God loves you. He's not looking to bring condemnation for you. 
He says that His will is that all would be saved. That all would trust in His Son. That no one would go to hell. Hell was not created for you. It was created for Satan and his demons. Understand that clearly. And we, we have this misunderstanding in our culture that somehow Satan is this great Lord and he's got this dominion called hell and he rules and reigns in it. Hell is Satan's prison. It, it's his place where he is going. It's his Alcatraz where he can never escape. Understand that clearly. Satan is not equal with God, not even close. Understand that, that Satan is so low that when you die as a righteous believer in the righteousness of Christ, by your faith, you are above Satan. Paul says, do you not know that you will judge the angels and the demons? Think about that. We, we are not some lowly creatures. The word homo sapien, does anybody know what that means? It's a word where we get humanity or humankind from. It means unlike any other. We are not like the beasts of the field or the birds of the air or the fish in the sea. They have other creatures that are like them. There is nothing on this earth like humans. Because we were created in the image of God. Think about that. Let that soak in. Now Luther, he lived in a tough day. He was confronting a church who said, you are saved by faith plus your works. And basically they'd say, faith is a part of it, but if you do not do these good deeds, you will not inherit eternal life. This is wrong for many reasons. Romans 6 says, What shall we then say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? So there's this, this complex duality that's going on. The, the church is saying you have to do these good deeds to be made right with God. While the, and what they were fighting against is what Paul addresses as Romans is we do not want people to say, you have been saved by the grace of God, so you can do whatever you want because you are under, under that salvation. Understand, you will stand before God, be stand before His Son, Jesus Christ, and give an account of everything you have ever done, whether good or evil. There are rewards promised in the millennial reign, in the kingdom that we talked about in Revelation. There are rewards promised for those who do good, those who desire to, to, to bring God glory in all that they do. We need to understand clearly, if the Holy Spirit is living in you, you're not going to go on continuing to sin in the way that you used to. You're going to be convicted of that sin. To, to true, try to live with one foot in the world and one, one foot in the kingdom with the Holy Spirit living in you, you, you will find your life most unpleasant. You'll find that conviction to be overwhelming. So when we see what, what Luther is combating here, we need to under, understand that he was dealing with, with people who said, you, you must do these good things. They're, they're putting a fence around the, the, the easiness of the gospel. The world hates the gospel. Why? Why does the world hate the gospel? They think they're so wise. And, and God tells us this in Romans. But, for the, but he, he confounded the wise. And He made it to them as foolishness. But this is simple. This is the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came down. He suffered. And your sins, past, present, and future, have been nailed to the cross for all eternity. There's nothing new that you're going to do that, that God said, I didn't see them doing that, so now we have to come up with a new way. What you do is when you say that I have to do these good deeds to be saved, is you said the work of Jesus on the cross is worthless. It is not good enough to get you into heaven. And if it's not good enough to get you into heaven, what are you going to do that is better to get yourself into heaven? It is by faith and faith alone. 
Because what you're doing is you're mocking God. You're mocking the sacrifice of His Son and you're spitting in His face all over again. There is only one way. His name is Jesus and the way is the cross. And God the Father has shown His approval by resurrecting His Son and seating Him at His right hand. And He said, hold on, Son. I am preparing your kingdom. I will tell you the day to go get your bride. But until then, I'm going to make all your enemies as a footstool. So we as believers, we as Christians need to understand and get this right. It is blasphemy to tell someone they must do something else to be saved. Something on top of the work of the cross. There are many who do that. I shared with you a while back when I was at Phillips Park and I was witnessing to the Jehovah's Witnesses who were trying to witness to me. Great, great irony in that. They are trying to tell me that they're doing these things, they're going out and telling people about Jehovah because they have a hope that they might be saved. You want to bank your life on that, that you might be saved? Let me give you an example of kind of what we do when we're, we're trying to say works, you know, adds to your salvation. It would be like you unknowing that I, I have gone and, and I, I realized you had a great amount of debt, so I went to your banks and I paid off your mortgage and your credit cards and all that stuff, but you don't realize it because they didn't give you the receipt, they gave it to me. So every month you're working hard and you're writing out that check, giving it to the mortgage company, and they love you for it because your house already paid off and they're not going to tell you about it. And so what happens? You're working your whole life to, to pay a debt off that you don't even have anymore. Your sins have been forgiven. When that moment you place your faith in Jesus, the debt is wiped out. Scripture says that God remembers your sin no more than it is as far as the east is from the west. Could you imagine that? But here we are still beating ourselves up for something God says it is forgiven. Why do we do it? Because the devil is a liar. He wants to whisper in our ears and say, you are not good enough. You were good enough for Christ to die for you. Don't listen to that liar. Put him in his place. Tell him that God remembers my sins no more. But he remembers yours, Satan. And he's going to put you in your place. The place of hell was created for Satan. We're going to go through moments in our life where, being, where our faith is being tested. Where where we go through those moments and we'll get those whispers in our ear and we'll say, are we really saved? Have I done enough? You know, what am I going through? Why am I going through? Is what I'm going through because God is mad at me. We have this idea that, that you know, other religions call it karma, that if I do good, God will bless me. And if I do bad, God's going to bring down judgment on me. The truth of Christianity, the truth of the gospel says, because you have done wicked, have sin and God knew you were going to sin. Every sin that you will ever commit, He put it on the cross. So for us to go through this idea in life to say, you know, I, I sinned on Monday, so now I'm sick on Tuesday, that is not the gospel. That, that, that is a lie from the devil. Reject that lie. I want you to think about it. When, when you have these moments, what are you going to do? We're all going to be tested. You're going to go through trials. You're going to go through temptations. How are you going to survive them? I want you to think about a tree. I told you a few years ago, I had uh, these giant oak trees in my front yard. Most of them were dying off. Uh, one got, got uh, hit by lightning, fell over, and 
broke the fence and ripped the electric out. It was just a mess. And then the waters came in the house. It was it was a bad day. <laughs> but the reality is the, the tree, when it is above the ground, we look at it and we'll see some trees that are majestic and beautiful all the way as high as we can see. But we don't know how healthy that tree is. We don't know if there's carpenter ants eating its insides out. We don't know if it's got termites. We don't really know. We just look at it and say, wow. How do you know that tree is healthy? It's when the storm comes. When the storm comes and the winds start to blow and shake and some of those trees start to fall over, you know it's not that healthy. What about when lightning strikes? How is a tree to survive a lightning? Some of us have had those moments of storms in our life where we've been hit by lightning and we see the burn marks and it hurts. Or some of us have had to deal with you know, what I did to my trees and hired somebody that came and they brought the chainsaws and joom, the tree's gone. But the reality is the tree isn't gone. Its roots are deep. If your faith has deep roots, even when those storm comes, when the wind comes, when the lightning strikes, or even when the devil tries to chop you down, how deep are your roots? Now the roots over in Boulder Hill aren't very deep. You could actually see them because it's called Boulder Hill for a reason. It's nothing but a bunch of rocks. And so the trees don't have anywhere to go, so they, they spread out. And you, if you ever mowed a lawn in Boulder Hill, you know what I'm talking about. It's a little bumpy. Is our faith like that? Is our faith like the trees in Boulder Hill? It's not very deep, and as soon as that storm comes, that tree's done. Or does it grow deep? Does it grow deep enough where it's grown deep into the Father's love? That, that's what Scripture tells us, that when, when our roots grow deep into the Father's love, then we have that peace. We have that assurance. We have that hope. That is when genuine faith is tested. It is in God's love that we see we survive those storms. God didn't tell us the storms weren't going to come. Matter of fact, He warned you, you are going to have storms and going to have them in plenty. But He gives us things to counter these storms. What's well, one of those things? Prayer. You know, we've stressed it over and over here. We now have two prayer meetings. 9.30 a.m., be here. Wednesday nights, be here if you can. Pray together. Prayer is a mighty, mighty weapon. It's actually an expression of faith in God's sovereignty. What are we doing when we, we come together and we pray? We are saying, God, I cannot do this on my own. I cannot. I cannot heal my loved one that is sick. I, I can barely afford my bills. I'm stressed out to the max. You know, you go on and on. Think about what you pray about. What are you really saying? Saying, God, I trust you to do this because I cannot do it. You cannot truly be humble and, and pray with a genuine heart. You can't really pray for people unless you actually care about them. And it's a way to go to God. And we're reminded that it's our faith in God's sovereignty. We're called to give. And we don't like to think about this. We don't like preachers to preach about it. But those words, tithes and offerings that Brother David used in his prayer. We don't like to think about those. But we are told in Scripture that to give of our time, talent, and treasure. Giving is, is faith in God's provision for our needs. Saying, God, we, we are giving this over to you and to your servants. Because we know you're going to provide for us regardless. It's a way to give back to what God has already blessed you with. We are called to study His Word. You need to be in God's Word. We've talked about in Sunday school classes as the lesson's been taking us through Ephesians. You have one weapon that God gives you to attack Satan back with. It is His Word. It is called your sword. A sword has two purposes. To defend the blocks and to attack back. To strike back. 
Study of Scripture is faith in the one who is Scripture. It is faith in Jesus Christ. It is the faith and study that calms our busy lives to stop and listen to God as He speaks to us. If you're one that says, you know what, I don't hear God speaking, I want to ask you, are you in His Word? Because He's got a lot to say. I've been reading this in my entire adult life, and I've never run across a point where I'm like, God's just not talking right now. He's talking, He's talking a lot. We need to be quiet our lives and start listening. And then this is one that probably the American church is most uncomfortable with, is we are called to fast. Fasting is faith in action. It's in that moment of denying ourselves and saying, you know what, this, this food that I enjoy so much, God, you're more important than this. The, the movie I want to go see or the video games I play or the, your favorite activity, whatever it is that you fast from, you're denying that so that you can have that time to be with God. Have that time to be quiet with the Lord. So I want us to think about those things. Are we partaking in them? Because these are all aspects of faith in God. These are all ways that we show. You know, very, very often people will, will talk about works and talk about the good deeds. You know, James, James tells us that you say you have faith. I will show you my faith by my good deeds. What, what is James getting at here? It says if you've genuinely been saved, that, that faith that we are saved by, that, that faith alone as, as Luther described it. John, John Calvin uh, is quoted as saying, uh, we are saved by faith alone, but a faith that saves is never alone. What is it saying is that when we have been saved, we will be compelled out of our love for God, out of that realization that, that He loves us and He has saved us and, and we are now His sons and daughters. We will be compelled to do good things to bring Him glory and honor. I want us to, I want us to think about the children that we have or the grandchildren that, that love us. My daughter loves me immensely. I know this. And oftentimes she'll do sweet things and make little cards and things and give me a big hug soon as I come in the doors. Why? Because she loves us. It's, it's, it's her way of showing me that she loves. The things we do, the good things we do for our neighbors, our family, it is our way of giving back to God saying, Father, we love you. Thank you for sending your son. We don't do it because we're afraid of hell. A sinner is no, not afraid of hell. The reality for, for a Christian this earth is hell. This is as close to hell as you're ever going to get. But for the unbeliever, for those who have denied Christ, this is as close to heaven as you're going to get. You think Las Vegas was terrible. Wait till hell. It will be every day, all day. With no reprieve, no SWAT team coming in to take the bad guy out. For the bad guy is Satan. It won't be bullets, but those fiery arrows that Ephesians talks about. He desires to, to devour your life, to destroy your family. And if we're honest, he's quite good at it. Because we're quite bad at putting on that armor. We're quite bad at, at getting on our knees as soon as the attack comes. To be studied up in our words so we know how to counter the attack. And we talk about in our men's Sunday school, the, the battle plan that we need to have. If you're going to war, you need to know your enemy. Most of us are too afraid to say the enemy's name. Lucifer has no power over you. Christ defeated him on the cross. The war is already won. It is over. So I ask you this day, are you going to place your faith in God? Have you placed your faith in God genuinely? Or is, or is there other things you've, you've done God plus this? It's God alone. It's faith alone in His Son, Jesus Christ alone. 
So as, as I close in prayer, as we play that music, if you have not done that, I encourage you to come down. I would love to pray with you and talk about what it means to have faith in Christ alone. And maybe you're here and say, yes, I placed my faith. And I say, well, what's next? Where were those, those good deeds that you do for the Father? The first one that we talked about, the first act of obedience is baptism. Have you partaken in baptism? If not, why not? Are you ashamed of Christ? This is the thing He tells you to do. To believe on me and be, be baptized. Why baptism? Because it's a public profession. It's to show everyone here in the world, I am a Christian. I love my Lord Jesus. I am going to follow after Him all the days of my life until He calls me home. Think about these things. Let's pray. Abba Father, Lord Jesus, I give You thanks for this day. I give You thanks for being able to preach Your Holy Word, Lord God. I thank You for my brothers and sisters gathered here that have worshipped Your Holy Name. I pray if there's anyone here that is not yet a brother or sister, has not yet placed their faith in you and you alone, Lord, that you would release the chains around their heart, that you would bind the devil in his lies, that they would no longer be listened to, Lord, that, that we would see you as loving and just and gracious and merciful, having taken all our sins and nailed them to the cross. And you have raised your son, Lord, and we know that, that you, have, you have bought us with your blood and that those of us that have believed are now born again. I pray if there's anyone here, Lord, that that day be today. Your Holy Spirit never speaks of tomorrow, but only today. Today is the day of salvation. In your holy name, Jesus. Amen.